Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you're joining us in the world. Welcome to, uh, uh, let's call it a surprise cast for today's episode of Everything APL. My name is Bruno and I'm joined by the SETIA Roundtable host, Anthony. How are you, mate? Good, sir. Thank you very much for having me on this fine evening in Sydney. So, yes, definitely fine evening. Um, for all those who don't know, we're currently in massive lockdown, so football has been our saviour as of late. But, um, yeah, look, round two of the EPL, some surprises, some great fixtures. Um, your, your standard host, Mo, he was travelling Europe, experiencing match days across the ground, so I'm sure he'll have some stories next time he's on the show. Um, and then next week, match day three is actually the last match day before uh, international break. So it's all coming thick and fast. Transfer window's about to end. Anthony, you know, how's it been going? Yeah, it's been going well. I can't believe it's international break already now that you've said that. But um, a lot to talk about this week in the EPL. Thanks for having me on because, as you said, it's been our saviour. We've got nothing really else to do man so i say we just jump jump right into it man let's go straight into the early game bro liverpool and burnley um i can't wait to talk about it bruno over to you yeah look it was 2-0 to liverpool um they picked up where they left off the week before against norwich um and yeah, you know new signing yota scores uh, along with mane but the i think the question is one um is liverpool as good as what we think they are because they've only faced Norwich and Burnley, and we've, we'll get to what happened with Norwich this week. But has Klopp got that winning formula back where potentially we're going to see a title push this season, Ed? Yeah, I think it's silly to rule them out, definitely. Um, there's no reason why they can't recapture the form, the form that saw them go on to win the Champions League and the Premier League in the space of 12 months. Last season was a very, very messy season for all teams. You had, you know, COVID coming in the season before that, basically, and continuing on, and Liverpool suffered big time. I do think that their squad lacks a little bit of depth, and come the term of the year, we'll start to see that. But so far, we can only really comment on the opening fixtures of the season, and so far, so good. For Klopp and his men, I think Diego Jota is a uh, revelation. Um, that's why, you know, he's benched Roberto Firmino. And I expect that to carry on as the season goes on for him to be the number one hitman to break up that little trio. I expect Firmino to be the first of that front front three to sort of phase out and maybe even start looking for another club as early as the end of this season. Um, as far as the winning formula goes, I think he knows the winning formula with this squad. So um, that's why you don't really see ever any wholesale big changes, more than one one change to the starting lineup per transfer window for Liverpool. But in regards to Burnley, you know, um, losing last week uh, to Brighton at home and now zero points after two games, they're always going to be a side that's going to struggle and who's going to fight relegation. So on to next week for them. But so far, it's looking a little bit grim. Yeah, and look, in um, the last 12 to 14 hours, it was also announced that uh, Shakiri has moved on to Lyon. So... Um, that's a Liverpool transfer update on that front. But, yeah, I think you, you hit the nail on the head across everything there. You know, Burnley, again, they faced Norwich last week and they were consistent. This week they had Burnley. Both teams, again, after two games, zero wins um, and two losses. At the same time, you look at it and it's like, okay, Liverpool have not conceded and they have not looked like they've been threatened by any of these teams. But Salah in some fine form. He had a goal ruled out. And we'll talk about um, VAR 
later on. But, yeah, the, the changes, consistency, is it still there? I don't know. But, yeah, look, I think we leave that one there. Liverpool to Burnley nil. Uh, and we'll definitely be seeing more and more and probably talking more and more of Liverpool as the season progresses. But next on the list is uh, Aston Villa beating Newcastle 2-0. Um, at Newcastle, another team after losing last week as well as this week uh, on zero wins. Aston Villa, life after Grealish, they seem to be doing really well. I don't know if you've seen the goal from Danny Ings, their new signing. Wow. Yeah, man. He's criminally underrated as a striker, Danny Ings. That's why Liverpool were interested in him as um, for far as like three to four seasons ago now. Um, but I'm not surprised that Aston Villa were able to grab this win. They were the better side against Watford last week, and they copped a couple of harsh goals on the counter-attack. Take nothing away from Watford. The goals were very well executed, but they were against the run of play after Villa were pressing hard. So Villa were better last week than Watford, I, I think, and should have come away with um, with more than zero points. And rightfully so, got to win this week. Newcastle, a couple of dubious decisions going against them, but it's just going to be another season for the Magpies, man, where they just struggle. They just struggle big time, bro. There, there aren't enough... Um, there isn't enough talent in their squad to absolutely excite me. I don't think Wilson is the ty- is the type of goal scorer that they need. He's, he's not too bad, but he's missed to put them back into the game. That'll so that'll really come back to haunt them, man, because they need some points now because they're on zero points and there's only a few teams that have zero points. It's only going to get harder from Newcastle from here, bro. Yeah, look, I tip Newcastle to be one of the teams fighting for relegation um, just because of the simple fact is they've been just outside. They've done just enough the last couple of years to keep their necks into the in the Premier League season, and like you said, Wilson isn't going to be that goal scoring um, goal scorer that they need because you can't see the consistency there. But not just that, uh, Saint Maxim has played phenomenally for him, and my question would be, how long is it going to be until he turns around and be like, "Well, I deserve better than this. I got to go somewhere else," or Ed, is it in your opinion that Newcastle's making him look good? No, no, I think he's I think he's a little bit um a little bit good, a little bit bigger than Newcastle at the moment, man. He's a great talent, moves the ball well, deserves to be in a better side, but you know, he, he's that type of player that's not ready for a big Premier League side yet. So he's probably asking himself the question, do I prefer to play at a team that's maybe um, you know, second tier in in France or second tier in Germany? Because he's definitely not gonna crack it in a big team yet, just yet, like a Paris or a Bayern Munich or a big team in Italy. So, you know, mid-table to even bottom mid-table in England, it's almost as good as a Champions League team in another country in terms of being marketable, in terms of getting your face out there. Everybody loves playing in the Premier League, especially if you're starting every week because it's just a platform for you as a player to build for your career. So I think I think he could be a player that um, doesn't, he obviously won't be a Newcastle for the long term, but he's here to stay this season and he'll be one of the players where if they do survive the drop and if they do get themselves out of the dumpster, um, he will be one, he'll be because of that. Yeah, I, I, I got to agree exactly with you there. Moving on, the only scoreless draw and it was the only game in the first two match days to actually not have a goal in it. It was Crystal Palace nil, Brentford nil. Uh, this would probably have been one of the more interesting fixtures on the schedule this week, especially after the way Brentford performed against Arsenal. A lot of people said it could have been fluke. It could have been that first game in the Premier League. You know, they've got that momentum going. But not just that, the Crystal Palace front, you saw what Chelsea did to them and how they just picked them apart every bit at a time. And this was just a fixture to 
see where both teams are at. And after watching it, it was a very even game. And both teams showed, had their chances to win. Both teams had their chances to lose. But one point each was pretty fair on the day. Brentford had the better of the chances. And I just think this team is not here to make up numbers. And Ed, I think they're going to start causing problems. I think they've been outstanding in their first two fixtures, man. Um, that being said, Crystal Palace haven't, but nothing to take away from Brentford. They're showing that they can be pretty pretty good when they want to be, bro. And based on this and their previous match, I think they're highly geared for the Premier League. I know it's early. They'll win some games. Um, they'll have a point to prove, and midway through the season is when it's really, really going to get tough for them when the squad starts to get, starts to get fatigued. But honestly, um, I, I hope that they continue it on. Because, you know, four points out of six is more than they would have expected in the first two matches. And as a relegation side who comes up, it's always good to coast. On, it's always really good to coast on that momentum. You don't really have something to prove, but you do in a more positive sort of way. It's more so how can we prove people wrong again? How can we go against the trend? It's not really we're obligated to stay up. Whereas a team like we mentioned before that Newcastle United or even this case right now, Crystal Palace, their fans will be saying things like, you're obligated to stay up this season. You don't go anywhere in the relegation zone. We're not expecting you to touch the Europa League or anything like that, even the Conference League. But don't start flirting with relegation. We're not about that life. Whereas a team like Brentford, they can coast on every single match day, Bruno, and go a point is like a win, a point here, a point there. Every single point that Brentford gets is like gold, meaning more often than not this season, they'll take the optimism into the next match day. I think that they're a good chance to survive the drop. It's very early to say, but good signs to start with. Oh, yeah, definitely. And like you said, fatigue will start to play a part uh, come back end of the season where back end of the year, sorry, where fixture congestion starts to hit and then the FA Cup and all of that. Um, but not just that, looking at the prize money in regards to staying in the Premier League and the drop financially, you would have to say that the promotion for Brentford has been an injection of funds they've never seen. But for Crystal and for uh, when you have Crystal and when you have Newcastle who have just become so accustomed to being up there, it could be detrimental. And for those who don't know, a team in Italy um, that goes by the name of Chievo Verona has been around since the 1920s, has just folded because of this issue. They've left the top flight and they haven't got the financial backing that they once had. And you can see this happening with a, a couple of teams, especially in this pandemic. But I think overall it was a very even fixture and going from one draw to another leads to Everton to Calvin Lewitt gets the goal again. Leeds controlled the ball. But Everton had the better chances, in my opinion. Leeds did come back twice, but I think this Leeds team, they caused a lot of problems last season. Bielsa had, he he worked his magic last season. He got some great fixtures. Last week, we saw the 5-1 thrashing against Manchester United. Is this the, is this the, 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 the game they needed to kickstart their season? Yeah, man. Well, Leeds, I was pretty impressed. I was like, you know, they weren't that bad. The scoreline really flattered Manchester United, I think, last week against Leeds. They've got so many class players, man, like Patrick Bramford. But I'm a huge fan of Rafinha, bro. Um, Rafinha's just got all the makings about him of a class uh, and a clutch player. And he's really, really suited for this Premier League as well. I love the way he plays out on the right. 
and just drifts into the left. But he's not very, he is not, he's not afraid to use both sides of the flank as well. I think he's the sort of player that'll break out and get a transfer to a big club. It was, it was a good game from Rafinha, to be honest, and a good game from Calvin Lewin. Um, he's going to be starting to think as well at some point it's time for a bigger move. But Everton, we're always going to be in a transition season this season because I really don't think they expected Carlo Ancelotti to depart. It's just that when Real Madrid come calling, um, Perez is very, very persuasive in that sense as well. I think they've got more than enough quality to have a good season. But they, you know, they need to pick up more points than often this season because I think their fans last season expected them to start something really special. But we know that it sometimes doesn't go down that way in football, especially in the midst of a pandemic as well. So I think this is a this is a good point more so for Leeds than it is for Everton, man. Yeah, no, definitely. And just touching on the Ancelotti, like you said, it's not like he was coaching, you know, one of the big six in England and he walked out on them to go to Real Madrid. He was coaching Everton, and when Real Madrid come knocking, it's one thing. But like you said, Perez is a man of many talents, and persuasion is definitely one of them. So, look, like it's a rebuilding stage. Um, and for those who don't know, I and myself and Ant are very beloved Internationale fans, and we're going through the same transition, and it's working in our favour after match day one. But for Everton... It's a bit different. The competition's different, and it is something to it is something to be proud of when you can maintain what you've got with the loss of someone as good as Ancelotti. But let's not dwell on that. Manchester City five, Norwich nil. Um, we mentioned earlier that Norwich did have three past them last week against Liverpool, but Manchester City came out and it was a clinic. It was something of it, – it was like a very well-conducted orchestra. They just played the ball. And then you look at who was on the bench, like the Bruyne, et cetera. It's, it's scary to see the talent that Manchester City possess. Now, and my question to you is, did you see the Grealish goal? I did see the Grealish goal. Did Grealish see the Grealish goal? Because they didn't even know it was coming to him. It literally just the beautiful cross across the box. But, um, yeah, deflected straight in. Didn't even realise he was gone. But Grealish off the mark, which doesn't matter how you get the goal, is a confidence boost, especially in a team like Manchester City. But what I take away from the Manchester City fixture is the way Pep used Gabriel Jesus. He had the number nine on the back, but I don't know. It was just... He used him in such a way that Norwich didn't have answers. And, again, it's Norwich. We didn't say it against Tottenham, um, even though Tottenham did win against the run of play. And we will hopefully see it again this week. But Pep, he's got the team. Does he go back-to-back? And what do you think of this current Manchester City team? I think it's just standard. It's just business as usual for Pep. How many times last season did Manchester City run out and score four or five goals? They're probably going to do that again more often than not this season. It just comes down to whether or not they'll win those big games against the big clubs. And even if they don't, they'll probably win enough games uh, against sides that aren't in the rest of the top six in order to go on and win the title again. I have no doubt about that, really. Jack Grealish, that'll be the easiest and least attractive goal he ever scores in a Man City shirt, so good to do that early. And their players are just so fluid, man. Like watching Sterling and Mares play on the same team with Jack Grealish as well, it's like just watching a bunch of ballerinas dancing, man. So 
Norwich at the end of the day, conceding eight goals already this season. There's only so many goals that, you know, Timu Puki is going to score you in one season. And so far, it's zero for him, zero for the club. They're a shoe-in for relegation. I don't see them having a good season at all, bro. That was smacked possession-wise, 67 to 33%. Um, yeah, Manchester City were just absolutely ridiculous. 730 passes altogether in that game, man. It's an absolute joke. Yeah, and it was definitely Pep's style of play. But looking forward into uh, your crystal ball, we've got Champions League coming up. And we do know that this team has been funded and has been built for this Champions League. We saw them make the final last year. And Tuchel and Chelsea absolutely pulled Manchester City apart. But... All the rage and all the talks being about PSG and Champions League this season, especially with the transfer window they've had. Is this Manchester City squad deep enough and good enough to compete with the PSG to get to that extent? Because just looking at the pots for our Champions League draw coming up, Manchester City can, in fact, draw PSG in the group stage. I That's hope that how- they do. I hope that they do. I reckon that would be poetic if they did. You can't say that they don't have the squad to compete with PSG. Yeah, PSG is superhuman, but there's only so many times you can level up in your career. And Pep's at that level right now where he's leveled up almost as many times as he can at Manchester City. Like, in my opinion, although Tuchel is very uh, very talented as a manager and Chelsea is a fantastic team, Chelsea shouldn't have won that Champions League final last season. That Champions League final was meant to be tattooed into Man City last season, and everybody thought it was when they got to the final. They'll give it another crack this season. Um, I don't know if their squad is built to beat PSG, but it's definitely built to win the Champions League. Being built to beat PSG in 2021 is like... What's the level in FIFA that's after legendary, after the fifth flick? There's another one now. It was There wasn't that many when we were playing the game, but now there's like another level. That's what Paris are at the moment, man. You can't level up to that. But Manchester City are the best team in England and they're the best English team to have a shot at the Champions League this season. Can they do it without Kane this season? Can, you know, there's been the speculation of Harry Kane. Can they do this without Kane? As we're recording this at 6.55 in Sydney on a Monday night, the latest headlines that we have read is that he's on the bench for the next game for Tottenham. That's bizarre. That's bizarre that he's even considered to be on the bench for them because the way that this transfer window has gone, you you thought he had his whole left side out of his body, uh, out the door. And he didn't play for the first two match days. And they can say all they want, that it was for quarantine reasons. We all know it's for transfer for transfer reasons. And... I don't know, man, a decision has to be made quit smart because he's probably sitting there going, yeah, yeah, man, City is the best dream move. It's the dream move. But I look weak because my team, my team's got six points out of six in the first two match days. I need to take the pitch as the captain of Tottenham Hotspur and back my team that's got six points out of six. Well, Harry Kane came on with 20 minutes to go, I believe. He replaced Sun and he missed a sitter. But uh, I think that just... His his left side of the body was out the door, but in the climate we're in now, the money Tottenham's asking for, we'll cover it when we do get to Tottenham. But yeah, I, you touched on they put big scores. Manchester City put the big scores on the teams last season, and we've seen last week five nil, five one, sorry, Leeds lost to Manchester United. We saw Liverpool win three nil. We saw the demolition of three nil uh, Chelsea to Crystal. Manchester City five nil this week. Is it an instance where the top four slash five teams in the Premier League are just leaps and bounds apart from 
everyone else. The money that's been invested, the squad depth. We've seen what Liverpool have done with their squad. We've seen what Chelsea have done with their squad. We've seen Manchester United through very minimal purchases. I think it was two purchases of Varane and Sancho, what they've done. City with Grealish, are they just one level and everyone else is just making up the numbers in regards to the Champions League this season? For sure, bro, because the golf, it's like that, you know, that thing that people say in life, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer and the golf just gets to a level where it's almost impossible to close. And the best example of that at the moment is Arsenal. And we'll get to them soon because they are a real sad state of affairs at the moment. They've spent 129 million euros this market and they're not even close to closing the gap. And the reason why is when you let yourself get that far behind the chasing pack and you don't have Manchester City, Chelsea or Manchester United money, you can't fix 35 to 40% of your problems in one window. You can only fix 10% of your problems in one window. And when you fix that 10%, there's always another part of your squad or your team that falters that season. So it's this recurring process of trying to fix something, but you can't fix it completely. I think Arsenal's purchases this time are good. But to go back to your original question, the golf is Huge. Manchester United have been building that squad for a while now, but you've seen them drop 100 M's here, 150 M's there per market, 200 M's there per market. You know, I still remember when they signed Di Maria, uh, Schweinsteiger, Schneider, Lendami, and Memphis Depay and Radamel Falcao in the same transfer market. They finished fifth or fourth that season, mate. So the golf is there. And like the, the teams that we just mentioned, Chelsea, United, uh, City and even Liverpool to an extent, mate. They have one bad season. They got one trap. They got one problem. Here's some money. We'll just we'll just fix it. Yeah, Pep spent over a billion dollars at yep. Manchester City, and and they're just going to keep feeding him money. Simple as that. But let's move from um, one of the title contenders to what could potentially be a relegation uh, fight between two clubs, and that's Brighton beating Watford two 0 I personally don't have much to say about this fixture. I didn't watch it. It didn't intrigue me at all. There was nothing entertainment entertaining on my perspective, but I did hear reports that it was very one-sided. Um, and did you have anything to add for that? Uh, they were pretty poor in that game, Watford. I caught like 65 minutes worth of the replay. Um, it was a little surprise when Duffy scored the goal, though. Though ahead the whole time, like... Getting that that um, win away from home in the first first match, they would have done absolutely wonders for Brighton, and they've continued it on here. They're one of many teams picked to get relegated, but when you get six points out of six in the first two uh, first two match days, that's um that's really really going to help. I like Duffy, man. I think he's a good player. The way he outdumped um the way he outdumped what's his name? I forget his name now. But Messina, that defender for Watford, the way he um jumped him for the goal, it was absolutely fantastic, man. So. And despite their dominance, man, they actually should have had a goal earlier, another one earlier. They should have wrapped up the game earlier. So Watford, again, weren't bad last week against Villa. Got goals really well against the run of play. Probably shouldn't have got three points against Villa last week. This week, we're left to be punished. And uh, Watford, like, yeah, they're a a casual little drop-in team to the EPL, man. They do like to come in and out. I expect them to struggle this season. Yeah, and look, from, uh, from that, we'll move on to the next one. Southampton won. Manchester United won. It was a far cry from uh, certain Manchester United fans calling to the title already after match day one. It was a nice reality check. But my question is, the Premier League have come out this season and they've said 
that they are going to add more leeway when it comes to VAR. So you're not going to have the, the, the smallest hairs of offside being called offside for the simple fact it's just ruining the game. But at the same time, there are certain things that should be called like a foul in the lead-up play. Personally, I'm a Man City fan, and I watched the Manchester United fixture, and I thought that VAR was going to intervene and say, no, there was a foul on Bruno Fernandes prior to Southampton scoring. Uh, You're a Manchester United fan. What do you think of that whole inconsistency with VAR? But I'll, I'll also add the second element to this. Ole last week was praised for 18 million 18 minutes of brilliance. This week, I they look like kids on the pitch. And they were just losing the ball nonstop, no matter how much they pushed up. So first VAR, then Ole, what's he gonna do? With VAR, man, it's the same as it is in every league. You can write the rules down on paper, but most of the time it's still just open to interpretation from the official that's on the on the field. That's the way it's been in every sport our whole life. It's always open for interpretation. So I think maybe as a fan base, we need to start developing this mentality that we need to treat VAR the same way we treat the on-field referees, which takes the whole point of VAR out of the equation. We brought them to minimize these errors, and now we're starting to say, oh, well, this person in VAR thought it was offside. This person in VAR thought it wasn't offside. Mate, if that's just the case, just go back to the referees and the touch judges on the field. We were happier that way. At least when I celebrate a goal now, I don't need to wait and, you know, cook something and come back and then the goal's disallowed. <laughs> so, but that's just a conversation for another time. I think at the moment with VAR, for me personally, Bruno, man, I reckon you change the rule like this for offside. As long as the feet are behind the last defender, there's nothing really you can argue about that. It starts to come into your play where you're trying to measure the shoulder, which is at a different angle yeah. and height on the body. And the way that you see it on TV, it's really hard to get the line straight. You're trying to, you're pretty much fighting a losing battle before it begins because this could be open to so much interpretation. Bro, Manchester United, you've heard me talk about them off camera, and I'll just say it right here again. On paper, they are arguably the best team in the country next to City and Chelsea, but they've got like a real bad bootleg version of Mario Kart trying to drive this Ferrari, man. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. There's no tactics, man. There's no fluidity. It's Ole Gunnar freestyle, bro. Everybody get out on the pitch, have fun, do your thing, make your vertical passes, run around the defenders, and eventually something is going to open up. And if you can get the team against the run of play, oh, well, there's no tactics in the world that's going to help the other team because this team is literally, this This is counter-attack FC, bro. This Manchester United football club, yeah, this is the most counter-attacking team in Europe. No joke. The whole team is geared to counter, not geared to guild up and to geared to build up and break teams down. So something's going to have this, someone's going to have to give this season with Oli on a tactical front, man, because if you were to pop a Thomas Tuchel or a Jurgen Klopp or God forbid a Pep Guardiola in this Manchester United team, there's one of your favorites for the Champions League right there. This manager is so many tiers behind your Pep's clocks and even Tuchel's, um, you know, he, he wouldn't even be a top 10 manager in the league for me almost, bro. And I know that's horrible to say, but when you look at the experience of somebody else, like, Hey, man, I would go Nuno Espirito Santo as a much better manager than Ole Gunnar Solskjaer still, but United will get... Look at Bielsa at Leeds. Oh, he's a fantastic manager. United will get more than enough points to make the top four this season, but they'll also drop more than enough games to be out of the title race by March, I can tell you that. That's just my opinion, bro. I'm sure it'll change, but 
I don't see – I see them just dropping those games throughout the season that's like, oh, we're still within one or two points of City or, or Liverpool or Chelsea, whoever it is. We're still three to four points within. We're still six. Oh, we're still nine. There you go. It's 12, 13-point gap now. Yeah, look, and just um, just back to your point of VAR, and I forgot to bring this up. I think personally it would make such a better attraction to the sport if the replays weren't shown on TV. If the if the lines weren't shown on TV for the public to judge and say it was this much, it was if it just come up on the screen like in Champions League, goal offside, disallowed, done. I think you'd you'd find that there'd be a lot less uh, hate towards the actual uh, VAR itself. Again. My last words in regards to Manchester United would be, why is Sancho not on the field? If you're playing this attacking brand of football, you had him come on last week, start him this week, let him prove himself. Pogba and Fernandez aren't going to have the games they did last match day, every match day. It was something special. But utilise your transfers. And I think they brought him for the right reasons. They just need to know how to, like you said, they're driving Mario Kart when there's a Ferrari on the field. Can Simple I just say, bro, this is the last season for Anthony Martial to show everyone in the world he is not lazy. Because right now, bro, he has been given so many chances. And how many times did we see under Jose Mourinho where the fans would take Martial's side and be like, no, nah, no, nah, Jose's just being too harsh on him, this and that. But Anthony Martial really encompasses that real egocentric sort of striker for me, man. And last season, United had a 33-year-old in Edison Cavani come in and show him what it truly means to be a number nine. He came in and showed Martial, like, this is what what a real number nine looks like. You'd think that the guy would want to step it up a little bit. He's on borrowed time at the moment, man. Yeah, and and you know what? I think a lot of United fans stand with the same opinion. Um, The excuses just run out, and you can't keep defending the guy. But you just mentioned, Tim, Espiritu Santos, Tottenham Hotspur, defeated his former club, the Wolves, 1-0. It was a 1-0 victory, a penalty to Deli Ali. He won the penalty. He converted the penalty. His first goal since March 2020. Um, But my point would be what I took from this game wasn't that Tottenham had two wins from two games because you sort of would have expected it. Loris absolutely saved Tottenham on their day. Loris turned it around and had some phenomenal saves. And in Australia, throughout the sport, when you're watching the fixtures, they show one main fixture, which was the Manchester United. But whenever there's some amazing shot or chance, they'll go straight to the other game. And they showed a couple of the Wolves shots. And that's what enlightened me to actually watch this game. But... My biggest taking point was Harry Kane coming on the field with 20 minutes to go. He replaced Sun, but the reception he got from the travelling fans of Tottenham was just phenomenal. From a player who refused to go to training, came out and said, I want to join another club, and they're there cheering him on saying, please stay. Now, what do you take from Espiritu Santo bringing Kane in onto the field it was the first time he has actually started to come on as a substitute since 2018, December 2019, sorry, December 2019. So it's almost two years, and he's come on. He lit up the field. He got a yellow card for time-wasting, but he's a striker. You'd expect him to do that when you're up 1-0 against a team like Wolves. I personally think it was a message to everyone out there that he's not going anywhere. It was a message... 
as if to say, if it were up to me, he's not going anywhere. There's still 10 days left in the transfer market. And I swear to God, man, this deadline day is going to feel like 10 days on its own, man. It's going to be one of the most hectic deadline days we've ever seen all over Europe. But I think um, I think I'm more inclined to believe that he will stay only because I think City think it looks bad if they splash another 150 M's down and get Grealish as well. It's start, it'll start to look like another hack, another cheat code there. But at the end of the day, do they really care that much? I'll be surprised... It's, nothing will surprise me. I won't be surprised if he stays. I won't be surprised if he leaves. Leaves. In terms of Spurs, I think this season tactically they'll be a lot more, um, a lot more stable than they were last season. Um, I really, really like Tang uh, Tanganga, man. I really think Tanganga is a good player for Spurs. He's very, very versatile at the back. He's so tough. I think he's got the makings to grow into a really good player. I think Regulon had a good game. I think Deli Ali looks like a bit of an idiot with his hair, but he's always got it in him. Um, and now, who I can't believe it. Hyung Min Son, Hyung Min Messi, Sonaldo. He's the guy that's leading Tottenham Hotspur. He's the leader, bro. He's the leader, and big up to him. Um, in terms of Wolverhampton, it's hard losing that losing that um, that manager because he was a real big part of their identity, bringing them back up to the Premier League properly. But they could have a worse manager than Bruno Lage, that's for sure. Coming off a good season at Benfica, he's a really, really good manager. It was very good, in my opinion, to see Raul Jimenez play well. Um, not you know, not just come back to play football. He's playing well. He doesn't look like he's lost any of his touch at all. And yeah, you still expect them with players like Semedo, uh, Trincao, Ruben Neves, Moutinho, Adama Troye is still just a beast, man. Absolute beast. Wolverhampton will be all right this season, albeit their slow start. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think you hit the nail on the head with that all. Uh, my question is two wins in two fixtures for Tottenham. And they did beat last year's champs 1-0. They won this fixture 1-0 unconvincingly both times. Are they pretenders this season? Do you see them making that top four at all? Do you think there'll be any challenge at all? They did get knocked out. I don't know if they knocked out or if it was a, um, a playoff fixture for the uh, the new competition that's been run in Europe as well. And they went from beating Manchester City to losing in that. Yeah. Then you had Tanganga, who absolutely, I'm glad you mentioned him. Last week, he man-marked Sterling and Grealish out of the fixture. It was He was all over him. And I'm amazed he didn't get a yellow card sooner, but he was just doing those crucial fouls. It reminded me of Kellini in the Euros, that mm. foul that he had to do. And Tanganga knows when to do it. So do you see any... Do you see them? I, I, I struggle to see them, even with Espirito Santo, even if Kane stays. I just struggle to see them making Champions League. They're already sending us clues, bro. Escape Room FC. They have escaped the Man City game. They have escaped this game. Honestly, bro, Spurs are one of the biggest pretenders of the bunch. And they know it as well. They had a really good start to the season last season as well. But the capitulation against Mourinho, I don't really know how many people saw it coming. I think in hindsight, it's easy to see it coming. But once again, this season, they, they don't have that monkey on their shoulder where, you know, we all saw the documentary. Daniel Levy brought Mourinho in to stabilize top four and to win trophies. He did neither of those things. Now Nuno's job is to basically do what Ollie's job was at Manchester United without the expectation of finishing supremely in the top four. 
you get the you get the happy positive culture back in this club you get the feel-good factor back in this club you play positive football most people are speaking the same language everyone's pretty jivey you've got a positive um what mentality and demeanor about you you consider it a step up in your career to be coaching at spurs whereas Mourinho's still got his head in real madrid most of the time because that was the first job in Mourinho's career where he walked out on not on top he walked out of madrid underachieving that was the start of the downfall there so Mourinho will never see himself as anything less of what a supreme coach at top level Real Madrid should be or at Chelsea, at Manchester United. Nuno, he's going to have a good season at Tottenham. Good for him for getting those six points. They'll come a long way for him when the going starts to get tough. Yeah. Look, we've spoken about some of the best transfers this season. Now, the last fixture that we're going to cover, now when we're recording this and when we release this, there's still the Leicester fixture, who will be facing um, West Ham. That is on the next day, so we're not going to be covering that. But Arsenal nil, Chelsea 2. I will run through a couple of numbers for you, Ant, and then I'm going to hand the mic to you. I'm going to get your opinion. I'm going to get your vent, your session on the uh, Everything APL show. 95% pass accuracy, 43 touches, 11 touches in the box, eight shots, eight duels one, two shots on target, two take-ons, two fouls one, and a goal in his first 15 minutes on his return to Chelsea. Romelu Lukaku has officially arrived in the Champions League, uh, in the Champions League, in the Premier League from Inter, the floor is yours, my man. Big Rom the Strong, bro. How can you How can you even as an Inter fan not love him, bro? I mean, even when I saw the meme come out today of him kissing every badge, even the West Brom badge, you're kissing the West Brom badge. Nah, all good, man. Like for, for someone who's come from the background he's come from, he has every right to chase his dreams. So when I woke up that morning, because I only caught the replay of that game, when I woke up and I saw Big Rom had scored that goal, all I could do was stand there with a big smile on my face, man. All I could do was smile. He deserves it, bro. He has worked so hard to get here. He is going to really do horrible things to opponents this season. They are going to have nightmares about this attacker. He is going to terrorize the Premier League, you are looking at a, like you spoke before about Man City running away with the title. We spoke about uh, Liverpool and United contesting for it. Here's your contender for the throne right here, bro. This Chelsea, bro. Like that 3-4-2-1 inverted lineup from Tuchel, that is just stacked in every position. That is the most complimentary Premier League team I've seen in a long time, position for position-wise. That Kovacic, uh, Jorginho midfield, man, was absolutely superb. You're looking at a team that still had um, bloody Thiago Silva and Golo Kante, Timo Werner, jokes aside, Kurt Zuma, Chilwell, and Ziyech on the bench, and Hudson Adoy. This is a stacked side, man. I think a lot of people were saying, like, last season where they finished, what, fourth, third or fourth in the Prem, but fourth. won the Champions League fourth, overachieving with Tuchel. I think we see it a little bit easier now, bro. Underachieving with Frank Lampard, 150%. Maybe they they still don't have all those players. They've only got a couple short, but they still had most of them with Frankie, and I'm just very, very impressed. Arsenal, bro, 
it's just not even funny anymore, bro. I'm sitting here thinking I started watching Arsenal Fan TV in like 2017. We've been going on this for a while and it's looking it's looking worse. As I said, bro, they spent 129 M's and it doesn't look like they've spent it in the right department. Aaron Ramsdale, never really even heard of him as a goalkeeper before um before they were linked with him in the transfer market. And they've got they've got a good quality player. Like we're setting our fans. How is Lucas Torreira not getting any minutes at this club? How is he not at least getting some minutes at this club? He's yeah, been out and, of favor with every single manager, bro. Yeah, it, it, it's it's absolutely phenomenal. And before we talk about Arsenal, like I just want to touch on Big Rom. And all, I watched this game live, and I, I well, I started watching this game live. It was if finished something along the lines of 3.30 in the morning here in Sydney. So I did switch it off, I think, at the 70th minute when I thought it was game over. But Romelu Lukaku brought everything he learned under Antonio Conte to Chelsea. And if even if you watch a highlights package of Romelu and his performance, it would just – you put an inter-jersey on him and you think he's playing any 10 because he just – that hold-up play, everything about him was just phenomenal. And we we spoke about it in European Weekly Catch-Up where even Jonathan said, Chelsea is a – they're, they're a team with the highest amount of chemistry between them. They're the team that's remained unchanged. You said perfectly they were underachieving with Lampard. Tuchel is no one to be over – Estimate, underestimated. He took PSG to a final. They lost to Bayern. He yeah. left PSG. He came to Chelsea. He beat Manchester City three times in the space of three months, one of them being the Champions League final. He is not a laughing matter, but I just personally think if you're talking betting odds, Chelsea, Manchester City are on par with each other at the moment. Now, the other side of the coin, the home team, Arsenal, Oh. I said it last week. I, I I said it to Jonathan. I said it to Mo. I said Arteta is the first manager to get the sack this season. And I personally think... It's not going to solve anything this, at this club, bro. It's not going to solve anything. No, and, and this was my next point. The problems that Arsenal are facing today is exactly what you've mentioned earlier in the podcast, where the gap has just gotten too big between the top teams and the bottom teams. This is all because of Arsene Wenger, right? He didn't invest much. And when he did, it was at the end before he left. Since then, they've been playing catch-up. Arsene Wenger was a fantastic manager back then, but the team is yet to evolve. And you take Arteta out, even if you bring in Zinedine Zidane or anyone to manage this squad, who's gonna come into, Who's going to come in to manage this Arsenal team now, bro? Like, I get it. Maybe they've got a little bit of money and they can entice with very Conte. minimal expectation. Antonio Conte at Arsenal, bruv, I'd pay to see it, man. I'd buy myself an Arsenal jersey and pretend to be a fan all season just to see it happen. Um, can you imagine how crazy that got? Okay, let's not get sidetracked, bro. I'm about to start laughing. Antonio Conte at Arsenal. But yeah, bro, it's just not an attractive destination. And th they've still tried, bro. Like, bringing in players like Aubameyang, like Pepe, spending the millions in this window right here. They're trying, but they're not putting the pieces together quick enough or efficiently enough. They're doing it in a real sloppy, slow way. 
and it's not working for them whatsoever, bro. The only saving grace for them this season is that they were so crap last season, they don't have to go on a plane on a Wednesday or a Thursday night. Yeah, definitely. And look, I think we just leave Arsenal there. We don't need a we don't need to rub any more salt into the wound. Like yeah. I mentioned earlier, West Ham will be taken on Leicester very shortly. So um, you'll be hearing when you get this podcast, they still probably wouldn't have played yet. But I do predict Leicester West Ham to be a great game. But next week, match day three, match day three. There are some fantastic fixtures, and we're not going to go through more because we are strapped for time. But Anthony, if you had to pick one game next week to watch, what would it be? There are a few really good ones, man. Two of them come to mind. It's a really tough one because they're both big for different reasons. But I think for me personally, I've got to go for City Arsenal as the one to watch. Not because of necessarily of the quality on the pitch. We know what the other game that I'm not going to mention, I'm sure you mentioned, is going to bring. And those two teams, what they're going to achieve this season. I think even though it's Man City, this is uh, basically match point number one for Arteta. If he can't at least play good football against City, get a draw or have a positive sort of game, then his head's on the chopping block versus Palace, I think it is, the week later. I'm not 100%, but this is you're, you're on like real – no, it's Norwich. Norwich. Matt Norwich. If he can't get a decent showing against City, then you know the writing's on the wall for Arteta if he even drops one more game. So for that reason and that reason only, I'm picking that as the one to watch because it's prime time, 9.30 Saturday night in Sydney. You're literally looking at Arsenal's manager fighting for his job now, bro. Yeah, and look, I think, it'd be the perf- I think it'd be the perfect time if he does have a terrible game, then to announce his departure. There is a two-week break after that because of international break. So perfect time to bring a new manager in, get to know the team because, honestly, who in that team is going to be playing international duties, to be honest? You can't really see any of the Arsenal players shining that much to get that call up. But uh, it'd be the perfect time. But, yeah, his head's on the chopping block. The game that I'm picking is one more the thing, one. One more thing. I'm so yes. sorry to interrupt you. I just think it's important to say he's been backed. That's why it should be even more frustrating for Arsenal fans than Unai Emery. Unai Emery is a professional manager. He came in, did what he needed to do. Yeah, Arsenal fans wanted to perform better, but he, he wasn't given the budget and he was not backed the way Arteta was. Arteta's come in as the former player with a little bit of glitz and history about him. And I think, you know, he's failed big time in the transfer market for me. That's all I'll say. He's been backed. Arteta's been backed, so he deserves to get sacked, in my opinion. Oh, definitely, definitely. Mm -hmm. And we'll move on from that. Like I said, we don't want to rub too much salt into the wounds there. But the next fixture is, like you said, you alluded to, I can see this playing out to be one of the most entertaining and competitive fixtures, but a tell-all fixture that will determine and set the path for both teams this season. It wouldn't surprise me if it ends in a draw. It's Liverpool hosting Chelsea. And the form that Liverpool's in at the moment is beyond phenomenal. Um, And the return of Van Dijk, you know, after having such a prolonged injury, you just would not expect him to come back as good as what he was before uh, he got the injury. But he's come back better. Salah, absolutely on fire at the moment. You can't, he can't put a foot wrong. Jota, phenomenal. Coming up against Lukaku, who just showed the Premier League, the world, that he's not a one-hit wonder that he was at Inter. Uh, And the Chelsea side, which has just gone leaps and bounds. And 
they've gone under the radar, I would say, the last year. Like, no one's really had their eye on Chelsea because all eyes were on Liverpool because they had just won their first title in such a long time. All eyes were on Manchester United, Manchester City, and Chelsea's just come flying in out of nowhere under the radar and deservedly, I would say, one of the title contenders, but definitely one that I would be uh, wanting to watch this weekend. And you know what? Even the time of 2.30 a.m., it does not scare me at all because I know it's going to be a fantastic fixture. What's your take on this fixture, Ant? It's going to be good, bro. Like Lukaku versus Van Dyke. Come on. Come on. That's huge, bro. That's probably one of the best matchups you'll see in Europe all season. Um, so it's going to be great. I expected, um, I expect it to be very, very physical later on in the game. It could take a little while to, to speed up. You'll see some conservative play. I think this is a game where Tuchel changes it up a little bit. You're probably going to see Kovacic come out and you're probably going to see N'Golo Kante come in to stop that Liverpool counter-attack and to best just maybe basically navigate the Liverpool press a little bit better, which is the right move. I'll be very shocked if Kante does not start that game. Um, other than that, I see it just being a real even sort of slugfest in which you got to make the most of your opportunities as a forward. So I doubt Timo Werner starts the game, obviously, or has anything to do with it until Lukaku has done his thing. Um who else could uh Jorginho I expect him to shine I expect him to control the tempo and Mason Mount is just in ridiculous form for the Blues as well so full credit to them um other than that I think Liverpool will still come to play but I'm actually going to go Chelsea 2-1 yeah is it, at, is it at Anfield or is it out at Stanford Bridge it's, it's at Anfield oh oh I still think Chelsea I still think oh. Chelsea that crowd is so mesmerizing, but man, you know me. Like, I obviously, I follow Man United, so Liverpool is is the vex. But that crowd, the way that they sung that first game, I'll change it up. Bro. I'll go two two. Good game. Yeah, look, I, I I could not disagree with either of those predictions. To be honest, it, it's one of those games where you can make arguments for both Liverpool and Chelsea and the draw. But yeah. look, guys, we will definitely be covering that fixture and many more next week. Before we head off. As announced on the European Weekly Catch-Up, we will be doing a live stream of the Champions League draw. Like I said, we'll not be showing the draw. We will be commentating, discussing, and evaluating each of the pots and each of the groups as it's drawn. So tune in to see that live. We will be having a nice long chat. But, Anthony, I would love to thank you for joining me today on such short notice. You can catch Anthony Anthony Weekly on the SETIAR Roundtable and I'm sure you'll be seeing his face on many other shows throughout the year. But thank you so much for attending, Anthony. Always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you very much for having me. Um, thanks to everyone who is watching. And please, like and subscribe, subscribe, share it around. Thanks, guys. No problem. And to all our fans, as Anthony said, like and subscribe. Let us know what you think. And we will be coming to you with many more shows this week. So have a great week and Forza Football, I guess. <laughs>